This ain't rock and roll. This is genocide. That's right. Uh, that means that you're listening to the sweet, sweet sounds of two people trying to get around copyright law. That's right. It's Bowie's planning. All right. Yeah. Uh, once again, I'm Dan. Dan, that's Eric that you just heard. That was that was me. Yes. Yeah. And we continue our journey into Eric's journey into David Bowie. This is I'll, I'll look away. This is uh, <laughs> it's going great. This is <laughs> this is the dumbest visual joke ever. And for a I podcast just, for it. Yeah. Well, th- y- yep. Listeners, you're going to get a lot of this. There we go. Welcome back to Bowie's Plating. <laughs> I have a picture of Elton John. Today we are talking about Space Oddity, a.k.a. Man of Words, Man of Music. Uh, so we are going to be catching up with our fans here on the Facebook group. Uh, you can also, I don't know if I should advertise this Facebook group because it's technically not ours, but eventually we will have teenage, teenagewildlife.net. Yeah, we should talk about how that should look because I got to finish setting that up. <laughs> yeah, at some point. Uh, space on, or we can just leave it black and white. That'd be fun. I could put a, a weird background like like the old days of the internet. All right, here we go. Here are some thoughts from our fans. Let's see. Uh, Milo says we knew the name Hermione decades before Harry Potter happened. We also knew how to pronounce parquet before Amber Heard butchered it on the stand. Eric, what are your feelings about Amber Heard and how she has ruined men? Um, obviously, <laughs> I have no <laughs> thoughts about it whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad I haven't heard about either of those people in several months. Uh, I miss those days. I'm not going to lie. Uh, here's the internet one. was so fascinated. The internet's always been a wonderful place. This is from Jareth's Girl, who is a longtime listener, first-time caller. Uh, I'd like to get a first-time listener's impressions on unwashed and somewhat slightly dazed. I think we'll get to that. Um, so that, that's literally the second track. So I think is, we'll get there yes, that is today. Podcast does to my 13 year old mind. That was some of the most grotesque and simultaneously amusing lyrical sensory detail I'd ever encounter encountered. It was also the first time daddy's we call him daddy on that. website. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Daddy's raw sexual power really hit me, which made for an extremely confusing group. Listening now, I can remember how I felt hearing this downbeat acoustic song mudslide into an unbridled rock performance, complete with choice phrases like, I'm a phallus in pigtails. The best I can describe the feeling is virginally threatened. Mm. It's a good description. Mm. <laughs> uh, we have more notes, more for Manage of the World, which we will get to next, because that's the next that. Uh, Eric, are you, when we get to that track, are you ready to fulfill Jareth Girl's wishes there? I, I have notes, yes. Sweet. That's okay. I also have notes in the form of a slide show. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's see how this goes. Uh, so we also have some past show corrections. Mm-hmm. Uh, a pink monkey bird. Eric, what is a pink monkey bird? Well, apparently, if you are squawking like a pink monkey bird, you are a bottom. (laughs) Yes, yes. Receiving 
the receiving. Yes. yes. Yeah. That is something that I, I, I learned. See? When, this... when s- someone said the lyrics to Moon Age Daydream, uh, someone on a different podcast, friends of the show, um, I can't remember which friend of the show, but, uh, on the podcast Puny Pod, they were talking about Moon Age Daydream in the movie, as it was used in the movie, uh, oh, yeah, yes, Guardians yes, yes. of the Galaxy. Yes. And they said, oh, the lyrics are pretty much nonsense. And I'm like, actually. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's just, all... it's just Ziggy expressing himself and introducing himself to the world. Exactly. So yeah. you're squawking like a pink monkey bird. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the way, I found out in doing my research for this episode, like a good boy, uh, I feel like the, the research is going to, continue to get more absurd uh lady stardust was apparently a tribute to mark bolan who we will learn more about uh by the end of this episode um is, is he one of the is he one of the bandmates he is not he's okay. about, we'll, we'll get to it he's, a, he's okay a we'll get there. uh by the way eric you are an eric with a k how do you feel about mark spelled with a c hey you do you mark <laughs> I think Actually, I think I, think I do know I, a Mark with a C. I think the ideal spelling of Mark is with a K, and I think the ideal spelling of Eric is also with a K. It's the C case oh. that really oh man ruin it. If you're Eric with a CK, you better be like Norwegian or something. Mm. Mm. No, I don't know. No, uh, with the K is the Norwegian. Oh, yeah. So uh, yeah. Dutch. Um, there you go. <laughs> we also have a disclaimer from our law offices. Uh, here it the is. Bowie Explaining Podcast delves into David Bowie's. Oh, come on. The power just went out. Uh oh. Let's Uh-oh. try again. Catalog. The law offices of Asher, Michaela, and CJ hereby explicitly state that neither host possesses authoritative expertise even though one of the hosts may or may not have impersonated David Bowie in fan forums. This is a claim we can neither confirm nor deny at this juncture. Listeners are cautioned that hosts may derive amusement from any errors, irritating dedicated fans. This podcast is purely for entertainment, not professional advice. Listeners must ensure compliance with local laws and seek approval from a health professional to engage in podcast listening without adverse health risks. By listening, you release hosts from liability for inaccuracies, acknowledging their non-liability for any consequences arising from the content. Thank you for your understanding. Enjoy responsibly. Also, uh, Iman, if you're listening, just please give us the rights. That's all we want. So <laughs> that was a note from our uh, legal counsel, our, our Thank legal you. team. Yes. Yeah. Right. So we got some biographical details. We started off kind of we did a big sploosh into some of the works of Mr. Dayfred Bowie uh, and then we listened to Oh, is that how you pronounce the name? (laughs) Dayfred, yes. Dayfred? (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then we listened to Ziggy Stardust because that was an album that you had heard. Uh, All the nerds out there are probably just clamoring for me to tell you the information that they already know. So, yes. Because this is how, I mean, you know, we host another show. It's called The Supreme Resort. We do the same shit about Disneyland and Disney World. 
I'm not going to go into that detail, though. So uh, his dad was uh, Hayward. He worked at a children's charity called Bernardo's. His mother's name was Peggy. She was a waitress. He had an older half-brother named Terry who introduced him to music. Uh, and he, David eventually started playing saxophone at the age of 16. How did he introduce him to music? Well, I just happened to have a link in the slideshow. Oh. Uh, he exposed him to various musical genres. He took him to concerts. Basically, he was like the cool older brother. Um, you will get into more about him. There's a narrative arc I'm trying... There, there are a few narrative arcs I'm trying to get going here. Um, but... At this point in the story, he existed. Uh, he was a huge influence, and we probably have him to thank uh, mm-hmm. for this stuff. Uh, Mr. Dayford Bowie left school at the age of 16 to pursue a career in music. Yes, that's true. Uh, prefer- uh, he worked as an electrician's mate and a commercial artist. Like a friend of an electrician? Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's, yeah. That happens in Britain. They pay you for that. They pay they any any friendship that you have with anyone in a professional field, you get paid. It's socialism, oh. you know. Uh, <laughs> you know how the Brits are known for their socialism. Uh, in 1966, he continued to use his birth name of David Bowie to avoid confusion with Davy Jones of the Monkeys. That's uh-huh. not something uh-huh. we're ever going to correct. And in 1965. <laughs> Uh, David Bowie released his first single. It's a little something called Liza Jane. Uh, nobody bought it, but it was, you know, he, he, he shat instead of getting off the pot, so to speak. Okay. Here's a little Liza hey. Jane. This is him in concert. Do you want to, do you want to... You're really old. Um. This is in twenty. This is in two thousand four. This is not how it sounded in nineteen sixty six. If it did sound like this in nineteen sixty six, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If he did sound like this in nineteen sixty six, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> Rocking the world. <laughs> so They're like Davy Jones, you gotta listen to this. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, just to get into, like, the meat of it. There we go. Yeah, there you go. So you get an idea, kind of, it's just kind of your standard rock shit. Um, how do I move forward? Google Slides? Oh, there we go. Ooh, oh, working. here's some Conrads. I'm in. Yeah, you know, all these shit. Uh, good, good vibraphone in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, how much do you like mime? Um, an acceptable amount. <laughs> would you say that you like for the, the American audience? Right. Okay. So, would you say that you are 
average with American audience or below or above. I, I'll say right now, I'm slightly above average with my tolerance for mime if it doesn't involve face paint. Um, I would say I don't actively avoid mime, but I also don't actively seek it out. That's fair. That's how, as it should be. Are you aware that uh, <laughs> David Bowie studied mime? I am. I was not aware until you said that sentence just there. There we go. Uh, he teamed up with Lindsay Kemp, uh, who is a dancer choreographer, taught him mime. I have a clip of him talking about it. I'm not going to play that because we just want to get to the fucking rock music, man. Uh, Mark Bolin, who again we will get into more, uh, invited uh mr bowie to open for his band t-rex mark boland's band oh t-rex. he's he's okay he's the t- the t-rex Trex guy. guy yeah he's the dinosaur um <laughs> with the one man mime routine the audience did not like it um more on that guy later uh and it's 10 fans of me speaking french you're you're in for a treat etienne de sure <laughs> okay it was a French mime artist who emphasized the importance of physical precision. Uh, Eric, I want you to describe what it is that you are seeing on the screen. Okay, is, all right. This is Etienne de Croix, Le Marche de Place, Place, Place. Okay. All right. It's it's a very old sort of film, but he's... Mm-hmm. Oh, he is marching in place, just like the French words said. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a little, like moonwalk but he's not going anywhere but his right. arms are yeah. very yeah. Mm-hmm. very floppy very um mm-hmm. stringy like the, the way no one actually walks oh right. he's looking at us run yep oh. Um, <laughs> oh no he's running after us oh, oh no oh, oh no. no it's like <laughs> it's the tra- again it's like the movie with the train that i just that i ran from when i got my new tv <laughs> uh there he goes so, yes, basically, he, uh, Michael Jackson traveled back in time and taught that man the move block. So well, yeah. Hey, we're still in the slideshow. Good Jack, job. Jack, this is unnecessary. The mime discussion or? No, the, the slideshow. Uh, <laughs> so we are, so we're going to continue with it. Uh, are you familiar with Hermione? <laughs> I am, I, well, I'm familiar with the Hermione that's on my screen here. <laughs> Hermione Granger from Harry Potter. Yes, um, I'm guessing because there's a song about Hermione that there is a relationship with someone that may or may not have been named Hermione. Oh, there sure is. Uh, Hermione Harmonica Farthingale was a dancer, uh, and Bowie was at at some point a struggling actor and musician. They connected kind of through Lindsay Kemp, I believe. I couldn't find the specific reference, but I think I remember reading it at some point. Uh, they were inseparable for the next year. It was kind of from my reading of it, like that first relationship that hopefully everyone has, and also hopefully everyone stops having so that they can recover from, (laughs) recover from and be a real person. Um, and they lived together for some time. They formed a folk trio called Feathers made a short film together that no one really paid attention to. You've uh, seen it, right? I no, I'm not. Oh, oh okay. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a purist up to the point where I stop enjoying it and then I'm just like, okay, I don't need that. Um <laughs> so she I guess the important thing for he, she really encouraged him to 
experiment and play around with image and sound, sound and vision, some might say. Um, and so that's kind of important there. Oh, look, that's what the slide says. Um, I made this, I, you know, uh, for someone who works in the education industry, I'm really not good at this. Um, you're, you're learning, you're learning yourself. I'm learning how to slides, how to slides. Uh, so she left him to pursue a career in dance and he was, of course, not happy with this. I Um, would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. And there's an actual picture of them on the screen. Um, he looks kind of devastated right there. Yeah, a little bit. That was, it's kind of a stylish thing. No, okay. uh, he's They're like just 20, 60s people. At this point, he's like, yeah, at this point, he's like 2021 ish, which is weird to think that he was ever not 40, at least for me, or uh, over 40. Um, so she was important. He talked about her a lot. Uh, Angie, who he ends up marrying in 1970 kind of tries to replace her in some ways. Stop. Stop playing video. I'm not going to play that video. Uh, <laughs> tried to replace her in some ways, and he his take on that was kind of like, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm I never actually going to love you. She's like, okay, cool. <laughs> then then they yeah. got married. Um, he said in an interview, Hermione broke my heart. I've been trying to mend it ever since. How are you doing on this? Do, we, do you think our, our listeners are bored? It that depends on who our listeners are. Okay. If Listener? they're like me, they're learning things and they're okay. having a great time. Cool. Okay. Listener, if you're bored, call 856-R-EARS <laughs> and book a vacation to a Disney park so that you cannot you can be bored less often. Yeah. Uh, so he started writing songs for his debut album uh, in 1966, worked with the producer. His name was Gus. Dungeon, but we're just going to call him Dust, Gus Dungeon because that's easier for me. So, so Gus Dungeon was yes. was responsible for the Laughing Gnome. Uh, you know or, what? Let's, or at least let's, allowed it. Let's blame it on him. Why not? Okay. Um, they experimented with different sounds and techniques during the recording process, and one of the things they included was a Mellotron. Eric, do you want to learn about the Mellotron? Let's learn about the Mellotron. I love okay. Mellotrons. Yeah. Yeah. Enjoy the music for a minute before we let personality Eric Robinson explain. Hello there. I suppose you thought you were listening to a long plain record just then. Well, you weren't. I did. These these people are the most Tory people I've ever seen. Hello there. Hello. Um... I'm trying to get my YouTube it's, to work. I don't see a volume anywhere on that. There's there, no option oh, there it for is. volume. There it is. Okay. It's <laughs> All right. Hello there. Here's Hello. the volume. Hello. You can adjust Hello, it thusly. Uh, You're listening to a new instrument that David Nixon and I have helped develop in this country. It makes the actual sounds of the orchestra. So come over and meet my son-in-law with you and the Metatron. And honestly, when I watch this video... I, I jokingly said that this, these are the most Tory people I've ever seen. I think, no joke, I think the Mellotron was a Tory instrument. <laughs> it's like, yeah, we don't want to have to pay these musicians to come in and dirty our floors, do we? 
So here's here's a. I need this, you see. I think I've never been able to play the piano. Sorry for you. You got an orchestra. Well, explain how it works. Will you? Well, actually, it's fairly straightforward. It's a musical computer, and as you know, Eric, the right hand is lead instruments with a choice of eighteen different ones, and the left hand is rhythms in this half and backgrounds in this half, and it's all been fed onto hundreds of tape tracks. All right. Well, I suggest that uh, you. A little simple piece on ballad. I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> well, that was a diss right there. I suggest you play. Two fingers. Nothing else. So, for the listener, we're looking at a dude who's kind of he's, he's he's doing what I think a lot of people think a lot of electronic musicians well, do, which is like just pressing a key, a single a, key, a <laughs> right. You definitely don't want a trombonist in your in your studio. Oh yeah, they, they could spit all over the place. Yeah. Um, let's see what this slimy bastard has to say here. Oh, suddenly appeared this different person. We've invited a random person here to try to play an instrument. <laughs> let's see how he does. We tempted him in with the smell of roast that we have cooking, and he looked very emaciated. We said, "Would you like to come in and play this song, and then, and then we'll take your blood to keep us young." <laughs> His adrenochrome will be quite delicious. <laughs> he looked very, very confused, which is what you try to look for in a young boy. <laughs> Look at him, he's doing great. <laughs> so that's a Mellotron. We got more Mellotron going on here. We got uh, inside a Mellotron. Well, you see, there are hundreds of tapes. <laughs> This this one has tapes of children screaming. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last three keys. That I've recorded myself. Would you like to meet the children? <laughs> <laughs> this here is <Okay>. Hermione. <laughs> See her mousy hair. Oh, you haven't heard that song yet. So we're going to start out by looking at the back of the instrument and just sort of this explaining deep what the parts the are from the bottom up. So inside this box is the power supply. You can't really see it, but it's pretty but simple. You can hear but it. it delivers a variety of voltages to different areas. There are two main things that have to be done in here when you work on a Mellotron. The first thing is replacing all of the electrolytic capacitors in here. And the second is correcting a ground loop, which has been designed into the instrument with the way the capacitors are wired. So that's something that you can do that will substantially decrease the 60 hertz hum on the output. Um, so this right here is the motor. It's a pretty, motor. Uh, pretty heavy duty motor and you can hear it's fairly loud. <laughs> um, and what it does is- Fair, but let's learn about the motor control. So just I'm surprised she touched it. it was, I figured she was gonna get a shock. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, it's just her fingers are probably just oh, numb. Now. <laughs> oh, good, another another sound for my connection. <laughs> I'll put that on C sharp. <laughs> Simple and sort of limited electronic aspects of the instrument. This is the motor control board. Now this one still has okay. what's called a CNC Lady, this is an audio, it, which is the original board used audio by the podcast? M400. Come oh on. my goodness, doesn't she know what? <laughs> so let me show you what happens from this perspective when you. All right, um, we're press going down into the thing. Note playing. So down here, into the, the, these are all the, the strips of, the, tape. of the... and each one of these is five feet long, approximately, and they're not loops; they're just strips. And each is tape connected strips. by a spring down here to the the bottom of the frame at the lower part of the instrument. So when you press a note and the pinch roller starts advancing the tape against the capstan, it just pulls it up. Get out of here, Paul McCartney. And when it runs out of tape, it'll just stop. And then you let go and it just gets pulled right back down by the spring. This is a wildly impractical instrument. I know, isn't it great? <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, in looking at this, I really got to a point where I was just like, oh, okay, so here's this impractical thing that was made for, I think, Tories who <laughs> just wanted to have, like, entertainment at their parties but didn't want to like learn how to play an instrument or hire <laughs> anybody and then it kind of got adopted by musicians who were like that thing sounds really weird and fucked up i'm gonna use it <laughs> <laughs> which case in point here's robert fret so while the serious probe was not probing very much at all and mr biff and trev here getting it right we discovered something we have not we had not known was possible, which is we can soundscape with the Mellotron and over the top of this sailing over the top is also possible, but this is a good example of turning a seeming disadvantage to your advantage. It breaks down, so you discover something. So, <clears throat> I think a lot of people use the weirdness of it to their advantage. Yeah. We also have the stylophone. Uh, this is what this is a, an ex explanation of a stylophone. The toy, right? Stylophone yes. is a musical device powered by electricity that can be categorized as a synthesizer. Many established artists have used the stylophone in their songs, but the Clap are the only rock covers band in the world to use it as their core instrument. It consists of a battery connected to a speaker at one end. <laughs> and a metal sheet with piano-style keys on it at the other. A pen or stylus with a metal nib is attached to the other side of the speaker. When the metal pen's nib makes contact with the metal sheet, the circuit is complete and the speaker sounds. Putting different keys on the sheet produces different sounds. 
Grove Harris invented a stylophone in the 1970s, after being inspired by an idea put forward by Arthur C. Clarke in the same paper in which he suggested that geostationary satellites would make ideal telecommunications relays. Visit www.theclapponline.com to hear more. And this is Guns N' Roses being played by several uh, stylophones. Uh, yep, not going to play that video. <laughs> <clears throat> so, we're getting... Eric, how are you doing? you have any questions? have any, uh, any thoughts? This is... You said you had an elaborate... Uh, presentation for me and you have exceeded all expectations <laughs> I, I are you sure you don't want to explain a harmonium to me too <laughs> isn't isn't that what he plays in the last song i don't know i don't uh I didn't. it sounds like a harmonium oh i don't know i don't know how much anyway know about these things i was fascinated by this i was just like hey let's learn how to play these things uh so we also have tony visconti uh, there's several Tonys in Bowie's life at this period. By the way, listener, this is going to get shorter as we go forward. We're just laying some ground here. Okay. Um, uh, I'm the listener. <laughs> it's, it's, and Eric, too. Uh, we can skip. I, if you don't. If no, this no, is, no. Okay. 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 <laughs> Put it I, like, like I said, no, I don't give a shit. Like, I just want it to be <laughs> interesting to people. Um, Tony Visconti produced most of the album. But he didn't produce uh, Space Oddity because he was like, "That's commercial garbage," which is hilarious to me. Um, he was like, "He was like, no, this is just a take on the. This is just a cash grab on the space landing, and it's just like a." Uh, he was really thought it was just going to be like a novelty thing, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't know how this is going to work." Uh, and he's he's responsible for go- for doing the the re the yes yes the, yeah the the newer editions in yes. the last. 10 years because I, I noticed that when I was comparing versions um in iTunes. Oh wow. Yeah. Um <laughs> I I happened to pick up a different one I'm like this is a very weird sounding mix. Oh it's a it's one I it's it's a different one. Okay. Yeah I I think he I think this mix is way improved myself but um it, it sounds fantastic comparing really the does. two sounds. I, I really I really like what he did with the album. Yeah in fact the first my first round of listening to this or the first generation of this album rather was one that I was just always kind of like, eh, okay, well this we'll get there. But, and there's, there's still parts of that for me, but his remastering of it brought the parts out that could be brought out where I'm just like, Oh, that's really cool. Um, so I basically he thought the album lacked direction, but he was like, I think, I think there's something there, but, you know, I don't know exactly what yet. <laughs> and he also worked with Mark Bolin. We're seeing connections here. And just like it says in my notes, Visconti, he warned Bowie that uh, Space Oddity could be a hit, but it would be really hard to follow up because the song itself isn't really a Bowie song. In in his eyes, it wasn't at least. Hmm. So, and he also talked about um, there, he, Bowie would eventually go on to work with a bunch of other people. And I don't think that we need to go through that here because we just need to get to the material. Okay. Okay. Note to self, maybe edit that out. Probably don't. So here we go. We're into this. 
All right. Eric, Eric, do you have anything further to, to, I've kind of just bombarded you with shit. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's good to set some stages because I, like I've said, I'm not, I'm not trying to read, read ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm letting you explain to me and, uh, and to the listeners who might not know what's going on. Hopefully yeah. there are some that are listening that, that don't understand like I don't. And hopefully the people who do know what's going on are tolerating your nonsense. <laughs> oh, they <laughs> are not. <laughs> <laughs> keep listening anyway. Oh, no, they'll, they'll keep listening. Uh, so. <laughs> So first track on the album is a little song called Space Oddity. <laughs> Dan has a picture of William Shatner with a cigarette and a tux. Singing Rocket Man. <laughs> um, Eric, <Literally. laughs> I guess my first question, well, it just it, the floor is open. Any thoughts, Any any anything you have to add about the album in general or this or whatever? It doesn't need to be a linear conversation, but we have the slides in case we need it to turn linear. True. True. Uh, yeah. The, I mean, the album is clearly a bunch of songs and also space oddity. <laughs> yes, yes. So Visconti is kind of right. Like it, it does stand out, but it's such a, I mean, the song is, it, it's a song everybody knows and rightfully so because it's such a, it, it's, it's a major it's not just a novelty. It's not Bowie trying to sing a little novelty hit about we're landing on the moon. Right. It's, it's eerie. It's interesting. It's really well done. Listening to it very closely the last few days um, has been really interesting to me it, because it like just from the first, the, those first, that first chord, you can mm. tell that they're layering together weird stuff. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. Like that first quarter chord chord um, is an F major seven with an E chord. I had to look it up because I'm like, it's more than just like you look up a guitar tab and it's like, you could play, you could play it in C. I'm like, well, I know it's in C, but <laughs> what, what is this? Cause there's, it, there's depth to it. And sure. They're mm-hmm. a little bit, there's a little bit of an effect, but it makes more sense when you find out that there are two people playing opposing chords that, that, kind of clash with each other and they're in some ways beautiful but they're in in a lot of ways unsettling um hmm. and they they play with that through the whole song and these three acts of the song and like they're they're different portions and that's what makes it so interesting is it's not just a standard we're gonna sing a verse now right. the chorus now the chorus like it, it's that, that's it's a journey that- that's something I about his music that I didn't really recognize at all until I started like learning how to uh, basically teaching myself through learning what chords are, how to play the piano. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had help, but I mean, you know, there's really no help in this. Um, and I remember looking at the chords and, and I, I took it into the, the, I was working with a jazz teacher at the time um i'm not saying that to sound cool i fucking hate jazz um but (laughs) (laughs) um and i hate you terry (laughs) (laughs) no i i tolerate it but a lot of it is an inside joke that i think is stupid um 
And I was like, what's wrong with this? Why is this going from here to there to there to there? He's like, oh, because he's actually writing music. <laughs> it's right. not just one it's not five chord four. rock song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, which is I it it was all it was kind of validating. <laughs> it's like, oh, that <laughs> something's actually happening here. That's cool. Um so yeah. Um so it might not surprise anybody to know that Mr. Bowie was being a naughty, naughty boy and he was uh, dipping into the the ganj at this point in time, uh, later to replaced by the blow. Um, and it, he there's I don't know how, how accurate this is, but he was. Some people have speculated that it has something to do with the breakup with Hermione or the distance. I, I think that it's really just him recognizing that there's someone could write about alienation and turning inwards in a way that hasn't that wasn't being done in a popular way Mm -hmm. um well and what better place to be alienated when you're alone in a space capsule and right yeah high out of your mind right uh he there's an italian version i'm we don't need to play it but it's there on the slideshow so i did my homework so i translated it into italian (laughs) yeah but well it's actually oh here let's do it it is actually um, a song. It's a love song. It's not a major Tom song. Oh, which is interesting. So here, I'll just do some highlights. Um, let's do that's This is kind of in here, middle middle ish. And once again, Asher is playing. I'm surprised that Asher is. I think he's he's dropping. He's playing these things in in an adjacent room. Uh, Anyone who uh, is seeking out people to sue for making educational commentary podcasts. This is happening (laughs) in an adjacent room. It's just a small child who, yeah, enjoys playing music that we're talking about. Right. Do you really want to make a 10 year old sad? I know someone who does. Oh, you go. (laughs) (laughs) Come be part of my instrument. (laughs) We require souls. Have you ever wanted to be music in itself? Have you ever thought about that? Um, so that's that. That's him speaking in Italian. It's funny. Such a funny language. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I should mention before we move on to yeah. the next one. Uh, one of my favorite moments. Have you seen the show, uh, The Venture Brothers? No. It's a cartoon show. It was on Adult Swim some years back. And uh, there's one episode. So it's basically it, it's based on Johnny Quest. Like okay. It's a funny version of Johnny Quest where instead of being like great, the scientist dad is kind of a failure and his twin sons are really or not. They're not twins, but his sons are kind of weird, um, but they think they're always having adventures. Uh, Patrick Warburton is their personal protect- protection servant guy. Um, it's it's really great. 
And there's one episode where they're they're out at I can't remember the setup why they're out at sea on this boat, but they're investigating a ghost and they find this this space ghost. There's a, a phantom spaceman that's that's haunting the ship. Mm-hmm. And when they learn the history of the phantom spaceman, they find out that his name is Major Tom. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they they flash back to the 60s and there's this dramatic retelling where they're like <laughs> where this this like rugged space explorer is is crashing to the earth. Tell my wife I love her very much. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy at mission control yells, She knows. <laughs> That's great. Can you hear me, Major Tom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think the the cultural significance of that song. I don't want to go so far as to say like it can't be overstated, but just I mean I think it can, but um, it it's it goes pretty deep. I mean even to the point that like it's in a Adam Sandler movie, you know. Um, I don't know. And by the way, karaoke that song fucking awesome people love it um <laughs> and most karaoke places have it so fun tip to the listener and to you eric and to myself as a reminder to get back out there and do that karaoke okay. um when it comes to the clapping parts people lose their fucking shit <laughs> <laughs> audience participation um do you say all right everybody get get get, get those hands up <laughs> <laughs> no actually i just very cynically is clap clap (laughs) (laughs) um oh and just just so it's on the record that bass that (laughs) i love that part actually i wrote that that's the last note for this song is i love that it is so great i don't know if it was a mistake or what but it's just it's like so distorted and weird it, oh it's, awesome. it's uh the, the that speaker is probably no longer with us <laughs> such a nice touch um yeah and then up next we have a little something called unwashed and somewhat slightly dazed eric are you ready for with your phallus and pigtails comments <laughs> i'm ready for comments okay on the song okay uh oh, oh, oh i wanted that to be a surprise Eric, who do you think, what sort of person do you think, ignore the picture you have on in front of you on the screen. Of an unwashed man talking to an older gentleman. Yes. When you listened to the song, did you feel like it was, who, do, who did you feel like the song was speaking to? Uh, my, my sense was, I, I mean, it, it's Bowie singing to a girl, a, a, a high class lady mm-hmm. and he's he's just a hippie so right. yeah um but so, he's getting kind of aggressive toward the end right <laughs> <laughs> which is honestly and and that's an interesting point because i you know i had done this research like years ago but coming back to this i was like okay well let's let's do some of the, that work again I had completely forgotten that this was not targeted at a woman. And, and in that time that I had forgotten, um, that was kind of a weird discrepancy for me too. I was like, why is he yelling at her? <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, as it says on the screen that you can't see uh, listener, 
despite his love for his father, Bowie has said that he found it difficult to emotionally connect with them. Uh, not really necessarily because of like uh, status stuff, but really more around, it, you know, father and son relationships aren't always easy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he goes into uh, some Bo Diddley stuff at the end. I don't know if we need to go straight into that. Oh no! I mean, he's yeah. It's there's a lot of. I mean, the whole album has a lot of acoustic. It's very folksy. Yes. yes. And this one, this one has more Bob Dylan vibes to me, at least with the way the cadence that he sings in. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, that he was also a huge. I don't like Bob Dylan, so I didn't include him. In this. Oh, okay, <laughs> you left that part out. You're like, nope. Yep, cutting him out. He's not in this one. <laughs> no, not an influence at all. I, I'm, I'm the Ministry of Information on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not intentionally and not consciously but i now realize looking back like yeah i i kind of avoided any reference to him <laughs> okay because <laughs> i figured we could get there later through velvet underground and you know oh okay yeah. <laughs> and i brought his name right. up directly i summoned guilty. His, <laughs> guilty. I summoned his gravelly voice at least his current gravelly voice Hey, Dan. Uh, hey, Dan. <laughs> That's Tom Bob Waits. Tom Waits and Bob Dylan. Why don't you want me on your show? Tom Waits and Bob Dylan in a buddy comedy where they're both <laughs> cops. Um, Subtitles required. <laughs> that should be awesome. Uh, That's the this, name of the movie. Oh, God. Subtitles <laughs> required. Um this track is, I think, where I, as a re-listener listening to the remaster, um, I think a major change that he, that uh, Tony, good Tony, made was, because um, there's bad Tony. Uh-oh. Look out, look out bad Tony. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he brings the the dimension to the sound. There's more of it. There's more dimension there, and it's more like you can actually feel the layers build up and build up and build up to t- towards the end where it goes into freak out mode. It's just like okay, this is deserved, um, at least to my ear. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it the previous mix was always a little flat, and by the time we got to the freak out moment. I always kind of felt like, okay, next track, please. <laughs> I get it. Okay. I could see. If, yeah. If it's not, if it's not really clicking with you. If it's not yeah. really driven. Yeah. There's a lot of textural stuff going on there, um, which, uh, you know, I love my textures. Um, Phallus and pigtails, that kind of stuff. Um, I think a lot of that probably comes from Mark Boland's influence. Because she was kind of aggressively sexy. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, I, I think all in all, a really interesting track. Um, yeah, I mean, T-Rex was doing a little bit of this type of rock before. I can't, I don't know a ton about T-Rex, but I know that they, yeah, they've got kind of some of the same vibes. Yeah. And, and uh, what, so what kind of goes on there that I've, kind of come to is that Bolin and Bowie were friends and they kind of like they were kind of at the same point in their career with you know like one of them would shoot forward a little bit the other one would shoot forward a little bit 
and um eventually bowie kind of just eclipses mark mm-hmm. Bolan. um but what we see with the end the the interplay there is that mark Bolan was kind of like he was kind of doing the sexy flamboyant thing where bowie was just doing the kind of weirdo like i'm gonna dress like a lady thing like the just like gender bendery but not in a like an aggressively sexy not pushing way. it it's just hey i'm this is what this, this is just is, what i'm wearing this is just what i'm wearing right my where music Bo- isn't isn't typical so why should i dress typically yeah where bowling is just like i'm gonna slap you with my dick and i'm gonna be <laughs> dressed like a lady while i do it <laughs> but yeah yeah but in a, in a playful way you know it's it, <laughs> it's all showmanship it's all yeah yeah uh, um but i think what ends up happening is you get bowie saying like oh what if i do some of that aggressive stuff and have the androgynous stuff the more more aggressively androgynous stuff follow with me and then he also says like well i could what if i create a character out of this and bolin sees that he's like aha challenge accepted (laughs) 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 and kind of just pushes further with the the glam stuff and bolin's lyrics were kind of just like dumb rock music like hey Mm -hmm. let's let's rock get it on you know where bowie's lyrics were not so there's that interplay i'm doing interplay motions with my fingers Mm. more more visuals for the podcast yes exactly (laughs) 